This program is made possible entirely by listeners just like you. For details on becoming a member or making a one-time donation, please visit bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Jimmy Dore Show, Counterspin, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Colbert Report, Media Matters, The Young Turks, Midweek Politics, That's Bullshit with Sam Cedar and The Daily Show with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Young Turks. So last week, a federal district court found California's gay marriage ban to be unconstitutional. And I, for one, am cautiously optimistic. Why cautiously? Because the decision will be appealed at least once, if not twice. Because if you didn't know it, our judicial system is a video game in which you have to fight through various levels, picking up weapons and life points in hopes of eventually defeating nine elderly people. Of course, the Republican talking points began immediately following the decision. You know, sometimes I think Republicans... Republicans have a chip in their heads that automatically receives streaming information right from the Skynet mainframe. It's just a never-ending download of talking points, scare tactics, and ass-backwards economic theory. If you or I sat down to watch that feed, they'd have to prop our eyelids open like in a clockwork orange. But for Republicans, it's more engrossing than a Jeff Dunham concert. And as a complete side note, let me just say this. If you listen to the current talking points against the gay marriage decision, not one of them, not one, says Judge Vaughn Walker was wrong on the law. Because, you know, he wasn't. And someone should alert the media on that one, too. I mean, the right wing finally passed up a chance to lie about something. Expect to see that happen again right around the time the Cubs win the World Series. I won't go over all the talking points, but trust me when I say this, they are all fallacious and they are all sleazy. My favorite one was thrown out on one of my favorite talk shows, Left, Right, and Center. Tony Blankley, he's no intellectual lightweight. He sits on the right on that show, and he's got an intimidating resume, too, and he knows how to make a logical argument. In other words, he's no Sarah Palin, or no George Bush, or no Michelle Bachman, or or no Michael Steele. Come to think of it, I I don't know why he's a Republican at all. By now, they should have found him out, branded him an intellectual and an enemy of the state, and sent him to the prison island of New York. So anyway, I was a little surprised when I was listening to Left, Right, and Center last Friday, and I heard Tony Blankley say this. All the democratic elements in in our decision-making process have been taken out of this very emotional and profoundly personal uh, decision-making. It's been turned over to what will essentially be one judge, probably Arthur uh, Tony Kennedy, uh, when it gets up to the Supreme Court, who will probably be the deciding vote. It's a terrible way to make whatever decision society ultimately wants to make on this. Now, what would you call that? I would call that sophistry, but sophistry implies a certain elegance to a fallacious argument. And that argument is anything but elegant. It's got such gaping holes in it, a third grader could drive a truck through them. So what would you call it? I'd call it some serious evil bull****, is what I'd call it. Did you hear what he just said? All the democratic elements of the decision-making process have been eliminated? Really? Did they eliminate the Constitution? Because I thought that was pretty democratic. So that's one obvious flaw with Tony Blankley's logic. Let's go ahead and ask that third grader if they see any more. Hey, seven-year-old who just walked into the room, what's wrong with what that guy just said? No, 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 besides the homophobia part. What's that you say, seven-year-old? You just learned in school about the three branches of government and how they are supposed to check and balance each other? And this case is a textbook example of the judicial branch checking the legislative branch? 
and that the majority can't vote a right away that is guaranteed in the Constitution? Wow, good answer, seven-year-old. I'm sorry to report to you, you have no future in the Republican Party. And the thing that kills me, the thing that really gets me is that Tony Blankley's just allowed to make that argument, even though everyone knows he's full of it. Everyone knows that he doesn't even believe it. Everyone knows. And yet we have to take it from him as if he's not being completely phony and lying. This is what qualifies as the other side of the story. Someone who's purposely saying something wrong just to have an argument. Because it's a plausible argument. You could actually see how a dumb person could make that argument. So Tony Blankley pretends to be dumb. He pretends to not know anything about the law. And then we all have to treat him like a normal human being. Like he's not a big sack of lying sack stuff. Over at Left, Right, and Center, they like to brag that they do it a little different than everybody else in political talk. And welcome to Left, Right, and Center, your civilized yet provocative antidote to the screaming talking heads that dominate political debate. Oh, I see. That's what I like about Left, Right, and Center. When somebody blatantly lies to continue government discrimination against a subset of Americans, nobody's yelling. They don't do it in a soft voice, you know, real measured tones. Nobody knows you're a maniac. And as this case continues through the courts, it will hinge on two items of law. First, the Equal Protection Clause, and second, the question of whether or not marriage is a fundamental right. And both debates will likely be complex and nuanced, and the business of people who went to law school. My only contribution to that debate is this. Is marriage a fundamental right? Well, let's try regulating it and see what happens. For example, start telling people they can't get married if they don't have a high school diploma, for instance. And then watch the riots begin with poorly spelled signs. Because people, we allow convicted felons to get married. And we don't even let those guys vote. Within our borders, we are happy to enact and recognize the marriages of non-citizens. You know, foreigners. Filthy, dirty foreigners. In fact, there are only three conditions we currently place on getting married. First, you are, in fact, alive. Insert Larry King joke here. Second, that all parties are of legal consenting age. Insert Jerry Lee Lewis joke here. And finally, that you're not homos. And if that last part doesn't occur to you as a violation of equal protection, I say you shouldn't be allowed to get married and ruin my country. I'm ready to strike up a deal with the right wing. We all agree not to get married if you'll all agree not to procreate. That way, it shouldn't be long before the opposition to equal rights for all finally with there's a way like Glenn Beck's ratings. Hi, my name's Steven. I'm calling from Phoenix, Arizona. I started supporting the show about two weeks after I discovered it. You know, it, it just felt like something I needed to do. And also, I had, I had already gained so much in the two weeks I'd listened to the show that I was like, it is something I need to do. Um, it's not much, but I support it in the way I can, and I, I try to spread the word as much as possible. If all I do with the information is vote in a way that helps me and helps others, I, the show is invaluable for that reason, you know, and I feel like I'm contributing to the great machinery of democracy, which sounds cheesy and probably is. No, I, I will continue to support it as long as I am financially able to. Uh, thank you.
Thank you very much. Last year, when California's Supreme Court upheld the state's gay marriage ban known as Proposition 8, there was little speculation about the sexual orientation of the seven justices or the possible heterosexual biases they might harbor. But when federal judge Vaughn Walker overturned Proposition 8 on August 4th, reporting and commentary treated allegations of Walker's gayness as a matter of fact. This despite the fact that Judge Walker had never addressed his sexual orientation publicly. As gay activist Michelangelo Signorelli noted on the Huffington Post on August 9th, quote, most major media organizations from the New York Times and ABC News to the Washington Post and National Public Radio have reported on him as gay or had commentators saying it, close quote. This situation, while it violates the rules journalists normally use to determine if they will or will not report, on a subject sexual orientation was a welcome outcome to anti-gay groups who'd claimed that Walker's alleged gayness made him biased and unfit to rule on Proposition 8. In the twisted logic of the homophobes, heterosexuals' views on gay marriage are unbiased. Of course, there isn't a lot of daylight between the position of those who oppose gay rights and the position of journalists who treat sexual orientation as newsworthy when judges' decisions favor gay rights, but not worthy of mention when they don't. As Signorelli concluded on the Huffington Post in an article that weirdly referred to allegations of Walker's gayness as a smear, this is more than a story about the tactics of the anti-gay rights right. Quote, it's a testament to how easily the media is manipulated by the right into doing things about which editors and reporters claim to be staunchly opposed. Close quote. judge has ruled that the government's ban on same-sex marriage is unconstitutional, a bombshell. U.S. District Court Judge Joseph L. Toro decided in two separate cases late today that the Defense of Marriage Act violates the fundamental principles of this nation. And with that, the judge made advocates of marriage equality very, very happy. One of the rulings involves seven gay couples and three widowers, all of whom have been married in the state of Massachusetts, and all of whom have been ineligible for the federal benefits that come with being lawfully wed, thanks to the 1996 Defense of Marriage Act. That law required the federal government to ignore, for federal purposes, any marriage that was not between a man and a woman. That means same-sex wedded couples have no access to family health insurance if one works for the government, no Social Security survivor benefits, no joint filing of federal taxes. Now, there are two salient things about the rulings. First, Judge Toro granted the plaintiffs what's known as summary judgment. Both sides filed their arguments, and the judge looked at them. He decided he didn't need to hear another word. Judge Toro saying the government's rationale for DOMA, quote, strains credulity and that, quote, irrational prejudice plainly never constitutes a legitimate government interest. Judge Toro ruled that a key part of DOMA violates the couple's Fifth Amendment right to equal protection. That's salient fact number one. Point number two, Judge Toro also ruled for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, saying the federal government wrongly forced it to discriminate. Toro writing, quote, 
The federal government, by enacting and enforcing DOMA, plainly encroaches upon the firmly entrenched province of the state and, in doing so, offends the Tenth Amendment. Offends the Tenth Amendment. Whoa! Now, the Tenth Amendment is the Don't Tread on Me Amendment. The Tenth Amendment is to right-wingers what the First Amendment is to the ACLU. The Tenth Amendment, that's the one conservatives are using to try to repeal health reform. It's the one the violent fringes used to declare themselves sovereign citizens, not subject to the law of the land. It's Texas Governor Rick Perry's favorite battle cry. And now? Today? The Tenth Amendment means gay couples are one step closer to being treated equally in this country. Don't tread on them either. Joining me now is the Massachusetts Attorney General Martha Coakley, who filed a lawsuit challenging the Federal Defense of Marriage Act. Attorney General Coakley, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Now, it was exactly one year ago today you filed a lawsuit. What does today's ruling mean for the plaintiffs in this case as of, as of tonight? Well, for the plaintiffs and for Massachusetts, it means that everybody in Massachusetts who's married will be treated the same. That was our argument, of course, on behalf of the Commonwealth, that we didn't uh, want to have to keep two sets of books and discriminate against our citizens who, under Massachusetts law, have not that restrictive definition of marriage, but a marriage that says by our Supreme Court since 2004, um, that same-sex marriage um, is allowed in Massachusetts. In fact, it's required under our own Constitution, also written by John Adams. Um, and so we're delighted with this ruling because it means now that uh, there's a lot of things we don't have to do. We don't have to keep a separate set of books for federal benefits that come in through the state. And that includes everything from social security to medical benefits. Um, veterans can be treated the same way. And of course, for the plaintiffs uh, in the suit, it means that um, they will be treated now as our, uh, our opposite sex uh, couples are in Massachusetts. Yeah, well, you, you just mentioned this. Talk a little bit more about what the sort of uh, the, the kind of entire category of those benefits are. I mean, I think that it's easy to lose sight of just the, the, the amount of benefits that accrue to married couples. Um, what, what, what are we looking at in terms of what that, that category of things are? Well, it's a whole range of things, and it includes everything from Social Security um, to how you file your income tax to what kind of medical benefits you may be uh, entitled. If your spouse is a federal employee, um, the retirement issues may be very different. Um, and so there's over 1,100 different benefits, uh, uh, ways in which federal uh, law would treat somebody differently here in Massachusetts. And frankly, it is uh, difficult for Massachusetts. It's a burden on Massachusetts to try and keep those two sets of books because for some purposes you're married under our law, other purposes you're not married under the federal law. Judge Toro's decision changed that today. So this is a, a, a decision in federal district uh, court, uh, federal district court. What is next for the case? I, I, is it reasonable we're going to see an appeal? Um, that's up to the government. Obviously, it's not our call, but the decision has not been stayed. Um, it does, it's now effective, and it means, obviously, we're going to work with our state agencies and with people in Massachusetts to make sure that we can implement this. Uh, but this is now the law in Massachusetts that all married couples will be treated the same for federal and state benefits. Finally, I want to press you a little bit on something you said today. You said today that it's, quote, unconstitutional for the federal government to decide who is married. That seems to me to open the door to a kind of double-edged sword, right? Because presumably we might want some federal law passed that actually institutes marriage equality, and it seems like that argument could then be used by states that don't want to grant it to deny federal marriage equality. 
Well, we, we don't agree with that. Keep in mind that this has to do solely with what Massachusetts has already done, which is extend civil rights as we believe it should be. Uh, we hope, by the way, that this leads to the extension of civil rights throughout the country. We don't think it will cause the shrinking of them, but Massachusetts has decided that. And what we said is that this, the Congress cannot now, by a statute, change what Massachusetts has done. The reverse isn't true. It doesn't mean that uh, it will affect other states right now one way or the other. It just says that Congress cannot pass a law that the judge found has no basis but to discriminate. And that's key in this. We're talking about civil rights here and what Massachusetts has done. So we don't think that uh, we think it's a good effect for Massachusetts. And we hope, frankly, it'll continue the discussion uh, for marriage equality as civil rights across the country. Massachusetts Attorney General Martha Coakley, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a good night. Joining me now is Tobias Wolf, law professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Mr. Wolf was also chief advisor to the Obama presidential campaign on LGBT issues. Mr. Wolf, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about the Obama administration. Um, the president finds himself in an interesting sort of bind here. He has officially stated on the record that he's against DOMA. Uh, his, his representatives in federal court argued for DOMA in this case. What do you see as being the decision procedure in deciding whether or not to appeal here? Well, it's going to be difficult for them not to appeal. And this administration is, is frankly, has been put in a, a rotten position with respect to this statute. On the one hand, the president doesn't just oppose the Defense of Marriage Act. He has announced as a priority of his administration three times on live TV from the White House that he wants Congress to repeal this statute. It's a discriminatory statute. He's been saying that for years, and he wants to get rid of it. That commitment runs up against another very important principle, which is the obligation of the Justice Department to defend statutes that are already on the books if they think that there's a reasonable argument they can make. And reasonable minds can disagree about what their obligations were in this case, but I think it was not an unreasonable decision on their part to say we've got a mounted offense to this statute. So the, when the question comes, are they going to appeal this case, they're kind of faced with the same dilemma. Now, I will say this. Um, uh, there was a, a press conference earlier today that I was able to sit in on uh, by telephone, and the lawyers for the, the DOMA plaintiffs um, actually said the same thing. They said it would, be, it would be difficult for the federal government not to appeal at this point. But the more judicial decisions that we get like today's, which help to establish in the courts the principle that anti-gay discrimination and discrimination against relationships of gay couples is unconstitutional and impermissible, the more ammunition it will give the defense, uh, excuse me, the Justice Department to perhaps take a second look at that question. Let's talk about the next steps. I mean, this will likely get appealed. Yeah. Um, it, it, it seems to me, and I'm an amateur in this department, that it's going to end up in the Supreme Court. Um, it's that kind of case, I would imagine. Is that what you foresee? And could we be faced with a fascinating situation in which Elena Kagan is sitting in on, on the court on exactly this case? Well, certainly, uh, the next stage is that the case goes to the First Circuit of Court of Appeals. And if the plaintiffs win before the First Circuit, so the First Circuit strikes down the statute, I think it's quite likely that the court will decide it has to take the case. Um, but, you know, in figuring out what the implications are of this case, it's important to keep in mind what it does and doesn't decide. And I want to clarify one thing that you said at the top of the sure, show. Sure, please. This isn't a case about the constitutionality of excluding gay couples from marriage. Nothing in this case has to do with whether states have to let gay couples get married. What this is about is where you've got states, currently five states plus the District of Columbia, that let gay couples get married. Can the federal government
government treat their marriages differently from everybody else's marriages. And I'll tell you honestly, you know, whatever the court's uh, approach to the marriage question is going to be if they ever are called upon to decide it, this is a much more, this is a, a question that seems much harder to, to defend, right? That you've got couples that are married right. under state law. This goes back to part of what Attorney General Coakley was saying. And the federal government is requiring, interfering, yeah. requiring discrimination and interfering with the state's own decision about uh, the couples that they want to see getting married. So I don't think that we should make any quick assumptions about how this court would decide the case. And of course, there are federalism issues in this case, too. The Texas GOP has released their new platform, which has a lot of great ideas. For one, it calls for the adoption of American English as the official language of Texas. Now, I would say bravo, but I don't want to get arrested for speaking Spanish. <laughs> and an even better plank on this platform, although it is already banned in Texas, Republicans want to make gay marriage a felony and they want to criminalize sodomy. Folks, this is a foolproof way to end homosexuality in Texas. Gay people are good law-abiding citizens. So if we make sodomy illegal, I'm sure they'll stop doing it. And if they don't, we'll send them to jail where there is no sodomy. <laughs> and, gotta use the noodle. Gotta use the noodle, folks. And the Texas GOP's anti-sodomy proposal brings me to threat number one, the Texas GOP. <laughs> Guys, nowhere in the platform do you specify what kind of sodomy. I mean, check your dictionary. It's a pretty broad term, covering basically anything freakier than a firm handshake face-to-face -face between you and your lawful wife before you go to your separate twin beds. <laughs> See, I'm all for banning the gay kind. But sometimes sodomy can be a depraved, unnatural act of debasement between a man and a woman as God intended. All I'm saying is that there's sodomy and then there's sodomy. It's really in the eye of the beholder, which can also be a form of sodomy. The guy who argued the case, to be fair, actually was a, uh, one of the guy, one of the top lawyers was a conservative, Ted Olson. 
No one questions his conservative credentials. Longtime conservative, uh, worked in the Bush administration, um, and he thinks it's a matter of constitutional rights. He's going to go on uh, with Fox News Channel with Chris Wallace and destroy Wallace. He's going to shred him on every single account. So this is going to be fun to watch. First, Chris Wallace comes at him about activist judges. Let's see how that turned out. Mr. Olson, let's start with the issue of judicial activism. Seven million Californians voted for Proposition 8. Seven million people voted to amend the state constitution to ban same-sex marriage. Now a single judge overrules all of them? Well, that's why we have judges. That's why we have an independent judiciary. We do not put the Bill of Rights to a vote. Forty-one states once prohibited interracial marriages uh, so that in Virginia, when the Supreme Court finally struck that uh, prohibition down, the president's parents could not have been married. Our fundamental rights, the part of our Constitution is a separation of powers and an independent judiciary. We ask judges to make sure that when we vote for something, we're not depriving minorities of their constitutional rights. And that's what the judge did. But as a leading conservative lawyer, you have condemned such judicial activism in the past. Let's take a look at what you said in 2007. Judges have taken some of those decisions off the policy table taking them away from the people by constitutionalizing these issues. Question, isn't that exactly what Judge Walker did in this case? No, as a matter of fact, since 1888, the United States Supreme Court has 14 times decided and articulated that the right to marriage is a fundamental right. We're not talking about a new right here. We're talking about whether a fundamental right, something that the Supreme Court has characterized as the most fundamental relationship we have in this country, can be deprived of certain individuals because of the color of their skin or because of their sexual orientation. We do not permit discrimination, inequality. That's why we have a 14th Amendment that guarantees equal rights to all citizens. It's not judicial activism when judges do what the Constitution requires them to do and they follow the precedent of previous decisions of the Supreme Court. Yeah, he just had Chris Wallace for breakfast. He's saying, mm, yummy for my tummy. And he's just getting warmed up. By the way, Judge Walker, who made the decision, was appointed by Ronald Reagan and then later, again, by George H.W. Bush. He's a libertarian and he agrees with a lot of what Ted Olson is saying here and believes that's actually the conservative position. And uh, he tailor-made a decision, this is brilliant, for Justice Kennedy. Because Justice Kennedy has voted in favor of gay rights in the past. He's the swing vote uh, on the Supreme Court. In case this goes all the way to the Supreme Court, all over the case he quoted Kennedy again and again and again. In other words, saying to Kennedy, what are you going to do? Disagree with yourself? It's a great decision. Greatly argued by Ted Olson, he's just getting warmed up on Wallace. Let's, by the way, one line I loved in there is, we don't put the Bill of Rights up for a vote. Get at him again, Ted. Here's where some people see a comparison to the battle over abortion. The political process in the case of same-sex marriage was working. Five states in Washington, D.C., have legalized same-sex marriage. Now, instead of letting this be decided on a state-by-state -state basis, you are, in effect, pushing the courts to preempt the argument 
which is exactly what they did in Roe versus Wade. Well, would you like your right to free speech? Would you like Fox's right to free press put up to a vote and say, mm. well, if five states have approved it, let's wait till the other 45 states do. These are fundamental constitutional rights. The Bill of Rights guarantees Fox News and you, Chris Wallace, the right to speak. It's in the Constitution. And the Supreme Court has repeatedly held that the denial of our citizens of the equal rights to equal access to justice under the law is a violation of our fundamental rights. Yes, it's encouraging that many states are moving towards equality on the basis of sexual orientation. And I am very, very pleased about that because it is extraordinarily damaging to our citizens, our family members, our brothers, our sisters, our co-workers, and our neighbors when they are labeled second-class citizens. When the state of California, as it did in this case, enshrined in its constitution a separate status for certain of its citizens, it did immeasurable harm. We can't wait for the voters to decide that that immeasurable harm that is unconstitutional must finally be eliminated. I applaud the fact that things are changing, and I think this case is helping open people's eyes to the damage done by discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. All we have to do is look into the eyes of these individuals and decide why are we de denying them the right to have Happiness that we accord to all of our other citizens. Okay, Chris, here's what he had for you. A tall glass of shut up juice. He said, look, 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 you want to debate whether the state should be allowed to ban Fox News and not give you your freedom of speech? That's in the Bill of Rights. You want, you want to do it? You want to do it? Oh, <laughs> Ah, oh, come on, man. He busts you up eight ways to Sunday. Now you, you scat. Get! Get! He rock talk you and run you off. In the news today, Fox News's Glenn Beck appeared on the O'Reilly Factor and indicated that he doesn't oppose gay marriage anymore. Have a listen. Do you believe Watch the culture? Do you believe that gay marriage is a threat to the country in any way? A threat to the country? Yeah, is it going to harm no, the country? No, I don't. Are the gay, will the gays come and get us? Okay. Is it going to harm I the country believe, in any I way? I believe that Thomas Jefferson said, if it neither breaks my leg nor picks my pocket, what difference is it to me? Okay, so you don't. That's good. It's interesting because I don't think a lot of people understand. That would be news to anyone who hasn't been watching and listening to Beck over the years. He's repeatedly called marriage equality a slippery slope to polyamorous marriage, incest marriage, and has claimed that gay marriage is really about attacking churches. Other people are going to say, well, wait a minute. Why can't one man marry three women? nation's borders and on my watch not a single chinese person has tunneled to america through the center of the earth you're welcome this is invasion of the country snatchers Folks, the assault on america's sovereignty is scary stuff just ask the television man 
The federal government refuses to enforce our laws on immigration, refuses to secure our borders from an invasion of illegal aliens. That invasion of illegal aliens. This illegal invasion from the southern border. Stand up for American citizens to bring an end to the illegal alien invasion. That is right. This land has not seen this big a foreign invasion since the Mayflower. <laughs> but now, now we face something even more terrifying. Los homosexuales. <laughs> on Tuesday, on Tuesday, the Mexican Supreme Court ruled that each of the country's 31 states must recognize same-sex marriages registered in Mexico City. All 31 states. And I'm pretty sure that includes Arizona. <laughs> Folks, this is a huge threat to American culture. If we ban gay marriage, but it's legal in Mexico, they'll realize that what they want is south of the border and in Mexico. <laughs> our country, our country, yes, it's a double threat. Our country will suffer what I call gay drain. Note to viewers, do not Google the term gay drain. <laughs> now, I am on record as anti-gay. In fact, I even boycott the Flintstones. No, sir, I will not have a gay old time. <laughs> and take off that dress, you look ridiculous. <laughs> but everyone needs a gay friend around. They're so upbeat in the face of the discrimination I advocate. And without them, who will we turn to when we need a second-class group of citizens to marginalize? This mosque thing won't last forever. Ooh, ooh, gay Muslims. Oh, that would be so great. So great. Never gonna happen. And it's not just Mexico, folks. Gay marriage is also legal in Canada, which makes America the straight meat in a big gay sandwich. Which, which I believe technically is called a fluffernutter. <laughs> Nation, we must immediately erect a fence along our southern border to stop, to stop the flood of gays out of America. Something that will repel them back into our country. Perhaps a human chain of pale, hideously out of shape men. I'm not sure where we'll find them, but maybe the Minutemen know some people. So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoy this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full-time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55, a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. In studio is Abby Goldberg, professor of psychology at Clark University and a renowned expert in the area of lesbian and gay parenting. She's also the author of Lesbian and Gay Parents, Research on the Family Life Cycle. And joining us on the phone is Tom McCluskey, 
Vice President of Government Affairs for the Family Research Council. Can you hear me okay, Tom? Uh, yes, I can. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So last week we learned that Prop 8 was overturned in California by Judge Von Walker. Tom, were you thrilled with this decision or just very happy? Um, well, I, actually, neither. Neither. Um, it, it, we were... Uh, we thought that the opinion of this one judge should not overrule the the votes of over 7 million California citizens. Mm-hmm. Well, so, Abby, let me go to you. Uh, the That argument that Tom is making has been made a number of times, which is the will of the people have, has been overturned. The counter-argument, which, which I've, I've, uh, taken, uh, uh, I've taken to heart because it seems to make sense to me, is when we're talking about cases of basic civil rights being violated, you can't just put that up to a vote, right? I mean, that's why we have an independent judiciary to decide, you know, if this is a vote that would violate the, the Bill of Rights, for example, we can't just put that to a vote. Where do you come down on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would I would concur with that. The issue of equal rights of civil liberties should not be something that should be left up to, um, you know, popular vote. But it's rather something that should rest on principle. And, you know, in my opinion, it shouldn't even rest on research. We shouldn't have to prove that a class of people is um, as good as another class of people in order to, for them to have a right that should be granted to them automatically. So, Tom, as part of the Family Research Council, with which you are a VP of Government Affairs for, is the objection just the 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 so-called legal objection, which you which you just stated, or, or do you have a moral problem with gay marriage as well? well? Well, there's certainly the moral problem, and a lot of that goes into the research that has shown that uh, children are best in an environment with a mother and a father. Something this judge uh, completely just threw out. In what sense did he throw that out? What well, he didn't even include it and dismissed it in his uh, in his judgment and his ruling. So you're saying that that there is evidence which suggests that it is that kids do better when they are in a home with a, a male and a female parent as opposed to a gay couple. Is that right? Well, the evidence is overwhelming. Uh, just recently, there was even a study by Yale University that supports that uh, that belief. And, and Abby, are there those studies? What do the studies say? This is really your area of expertise. Yeah. um, The body of research that, for example, the the proponents of Prop 8 have relied on is a body of research that compares married, heterosexual, two-parent families and their children to single-parent families and divorced-parent families. And those studies often find that children with two married, heterosexual parents do better in terms of various psychosocial outcomes compared to children of single parents and divorced parents. But there is no study that compares married heterosexual parents with children to married same-sex couples with children. So that's a big leap that, that I think some of these proponents are making, that that can automatically be extended to same-sex couples as well. And the research that we do have that compares heterosexual married same-sex couples with children to not married but same-sex couples with children shows that these children are doing just fine emotionally and behaviorally. They don't differ in any sort of you know psychosocial outcome from the children of straight parents. So well, when you hear... Of, oh, go ahead, of those Tom. studies, though, are extremely bias they've been thrown out i mean the most recent one it didn't even have a control group it was just a matter of asking lesbian parents uh do you think you're a good parent or not which study is that um it it was the most recent study and i'm I'm afraid i do not have it in front of me except most of these studies have i mean that's the simple fact is that there are so few 
Well, the study I think you're referring to is a study that was done at University of California, San Francisco. Got a lot of press. I think that's the one you're referring to. It's the longitudinal national, uh, you know, lesbian parent study. Um, In fact, that study and several recent studies, you're saying that it just relied on parents' report, but it also relied on teacher reports. So teachers are a great way to provide some independent, objective data to uh, kind of ascertain whether these children are doing well. And those teachers' reports were included in that report. And those teachers' reports showed that these children, again, did not differ in terms of behavioral or emotional outcomes from children of heterosexual parents. So, Tom, do we, is that the poll you're referring to? Do we just not know what poll it is you're referring uh, I, to? I do believe that was the one, and it, it's still just a, showing with no control group and simply asking then teachers or friends of uh, these families is not a scientific poll to make. Hmm. What, what about it is unscientific? You have no control group. You have no... Uh, you're not comparing it to other families, and you're talking about a very small percentage of, well, the whole population itself is a very small percentage of homosexuals, and an even smaller population that gets that decides to even enter civil unions or marriage or anything like that. But, Tom, because it's a small percentage, does that mean any study about it would just be inaccurate because there's not that many people to study it? That could go both ways, could it not? Well, and this goes beyond any study as well. Um, there, it, the right to marry is granted by the U.S. Constitution, but not the right to define marriage. And in essence, that is what is being asked here, and that is what Judge Walker tried to do. Okay. Let, let me, in the interest of not getting bogged down here, um, to me, uh, there, I happen to believe that homosexuality is not a choice. Where does Family Research Council come down on that, Tom? Well, the evidence is inconclusive um, on, on either side. So... Uh, Right now, it's just down to personal opinion. And what's yours? It's, my personal opinion is that it's inconclusive. <laughs> oh. I, I mean, I've, I'm not going to answer a question yes or no when um, all the facts are not known. And should that make a difference in terms of a ruling like this? I, I wouldn't see why it would. Abby? You mean, should should the matter of whether it's a choice or not a choice have any... Should that Does that have any legal bearing? Should it play into I any of these discussions? I don't think it should. No. I, I think it's completely irrelevant. Again, I really feel that these kinds of decisions should be made on you know, whether it's a choice or not. And, you know, there's a lot of research showing that it's not a choice. But whether it's a choice or not is irrelevant, again, to granting certain rights that human beings should have automatically. That's what this case was all about. Hey, Tom, go ahead, Tom. There's already restrictions on what the definition of marriage is. Um, Trying to redefine it is not a right. Do you think that that this type of legislation would open the door to three-way marriages or marriages between people and animals? Those are two talking points I hear. You aren't going to hear the people and animals argument from us, except there is there is historical evidence on other types of marriages like like polygamy. Um, But additionally, it's there are restrictions that are put on uh, marriage, and there's a reason for that. Um, Now, here trying to redefine marriage is just it's not quite uh, in the Constitution. Hmm. Uh, so if there were to be an amendment that wanted to redefine marriage as specifically between a man and a woman, you would also be against that, right? I mean, in the interest of just being un- unbiased and having the same policy about redefining things. Well, that's not redefining marriage when you're defining it between one man and one woman. 
Well, but if it were already if it were already defined that way, Abby, would there be a need to to do that again? I guess is when I don't, when I think about the defense of marriage amendments, where it needs to be said, we will say it is between a man and a woman. If it's already defined that way, there wouldn't be a need to do it again, would there? No, I don't think so. So what what is how do you? I don't understand that, Tom. Explain it to me. It's, well, I, I would think you'd need to uh, explain to me how it's not defined already as between one man and one woman, uh, beyond some usual liberal judge's rulings in a handful of states. But this particular judge is a, is a libertarian appointed by a Republican, right? So which liberal judge are you talking about? Judge Walker had a personal stake in this ruling, um, which, I mean, the San Francisco Chronicle has even reported about, and were the first ones to report about, so I, I don't think his judgment actually should be well taken for, on this case. Abby, what do you think about that? And we're speaking with Abby Goldberg, professor of psychology at Clark University, and Tom McCluskey from the Family Research Council. The argument that this particular judge which mm-hmm. was in some way biased or not, uh, not capable of making a fair decision. What, mm-hmm. What's your thought on that? Um, you know, my opinion is that who would be impartial? If one sexual orientation is sort of on trial here, would a heterosexual judge have been impartial? I mean, it seems like a silly argument to say that because he might or might not be gay, that has some relevance in, in the case. Um, you know, again, if, if, if he was straight and he had, uh, you know, argued for the, uh, for proponents of Prop 8, would people have been saying, well, but he's straight, you know, he's clearly not impartial. I don't know about that. So just because he's gay, people are sort of jumping on that. Um, well, you know, he has a lot of people. It's not simply a sexual orientation, but when you look at his actual supposed findings, um, most of them are are his personal opinion, and, and certainly not something that's found either in the Constitution or in the law. But hold on a second, Abby. Were, was not the testimony that the judge was deciding the case on not presented well from those who are are against? the uh, legalization of gay marriage. It was not strong evidence, and that is the evidence that the judge needs to decide on, is it not? Yes. Read the 136-page you know, decision um, from the trial, and it really outlines in kind of uh, exquisite detail uh, these uh, various uh, expert witnesses, their opinions, the data that they presented, their various qualifications. Unfortunately, you know, for, for proponents of Prop 8, the data really doesn't support um, supporting it. I mean, it, it's really hard, I think, for anyone to argue reading this document how he could have possibly found for the defendants. What do you think, Tom? I mean, did your side here in this case just just uh, blow the case? I, I think the case was more or less stacked against them at the beginning. I mean, there are precedents he did not cite in his case. Uh, the overwhelming body of evidence that was presented to the judge, uh, he completely dismissed. I mean, the ruling itself could have been written uh, by the attorneys who are arguing to overturn Proposition 8. I, I want to, in the last minute or so we have left, I want to just open up and, and throw out, uh, not a monkey wrench here, but just another thought about this entire issue. Lyle Menendez of the Menendez brothers right now is serving a life sentence for killing both of his parents. Now, since he was incarcerated, he's gotten married, divorced, and remarried. So my question is, how is it that a convicted murderer can get married and that doesn't devalue marriage. And I use the term devalue because that's something I've heard from, uh, from Tom's side. But a same-sex couple getting married somehow does devalue uh, a marriage. What, how would you react to that, Tom? Well, should I judge the whole homosexual community on the actions of, um, of one person? 
Uh, I mean, I mean, are, is the whole homosexual community uh, Elton John or Perez Hilton? Of course not. So, I mean, an example here, an example there. I mean, Britney Spears or uh, Lyle Men- Menendez. Forget about Lyle Menendez specifically. Do you see where I'm going with this, Abby? If a convicted murderer is allowed to marry and divorce as many times as he wants, what does it mean that a homosexual couple is not allowed to do that, but this convicted murderer is? Well, and right, and and sort of, is the value of marriage so high? You know, many people have said, you know, straight people are doing just as good a job screwing up marriage as, you know, gay people could ever do. Um, But, you know, the the fact is, and I'll just put this out there, is that, you know, there's a lot of data that suggests that in the countries where same-sex marriage has been introduced, um, in Massachusetts, you know, we've had marriage rights extended to same-sex couples since 2003, there have been no changes in marriage rates or divorce rates in heterosexual couples. There's just a continuation of existing trends. So we have the data that actually supports that there is no effect on on the institution of marriage. Um, These fears have really not come to pass. Some kind of divine intervention. Food goes to waste. So nice to eat, so nice to taste. Politician granny with your high ideals. Have you no idea how the majority feels? So about love and a promised land. We're fools to the rules of a government plan. Kick out the stop, bring back the chain. Which of the following is bullshit? A. Attaching leeches to your chest and neck is the best way to cure a nasty case of tuberculosis. B. The best way to tell if a woman is a witch is to drop her in the ocean and see if she floats. Or C. Our government thinks that gay men are sinful and dirty and should never ever be allowed to donate blood. Ever. The answer? A and B are lies, but answer C is no lie. And that's bullshit. Now, spanning the globe, from Sunday talk shows to his Twitter feed, from across the fruited plains to Mars, bitches, it's That's Bullshit with Sam Cedar and Bullshit. And now, Sam Cedar. A Department of Health and Human Services advisory panel just recently upheld a ban started in 1983 that says any man who has had sex with another man since 1977 is not eligible to donate blood ever. This is a ban which the three largest blood banks in the country have called medically and scientifically unwarranted and cost blood banks nearly 220,000 pints of blood each year. I repeat, if you're a man and have had sex with another man in the last 33 years, you have cooties and your blood's no good here. However, If you're a straight man who's had sex with a female prostitute who's HIV positive, you can give blood. You just gotta wait a year. Right after his election, then-president-elect Barack Obama described himself as a fierce advocate for gay rights. With fierce advocates like Obama, who needs totally not fierce advocates? Or fierce non-advocates? Or even gay bigots, for that matter? Let's review, shall we? 
First, the president picks a renowned homophobe to deliver the invocation at his inauguration. Then he uses the supposed goodwill from that unity gesture to build the political strength to, well, instruct the Department of Justice to defend the bigoted so-called Defense of Marriage Act. Then he takes the political capital he created by that sellout to triangulate and pretend he's going to repeal the equally stupid and bigoted don't ask, don't tell policy. So now a federal advisory panel advising Obama's administration upheld a ban not based on science, not based on statistics or risk assessment, but on nothing but irrational fear and stereotype. Senator John Kerry, joined by 17 Democratic colleagues, urged the panel to overturn that ban. But from the Obama administration, no executive order, no denunciation, no nothing. President Obama, if I may, what do you possibly gain by trampling the civil rights of gay Americans? This is 2010. The donation ban is from 1983. 1983! You were still in college in 1983. MTV still played music videos in 1983. John McCain was young, less old in 1983. Who's the audience for this? I'm sorry, but pandering to people who think you were born in Kenya by crapping all over a community of people who campaigned for you, knocked on doors, raised money for you, and you won't even allow them the dignity of donating blood? That's bullshit. You can support this podcast at no additional cost yourself when you shop at Amazon through a special widget posted at bestoftheleft.com. You can use the widget to search for what you're looking for or simply click through and shop the site normally. Better yet, click through on the widget once and bookmark that page to use every single time you shop. By doing this, Amazon will donate around 7 or 8% of the cost of your order to support this show without adding a dime to your bill. It's very little effort on your part, but can make a huge difference to support the show. Check out the widget on the right side of bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Racist, Jim. A couple of months after he was president, he said that. Jim, how can President Obama's be a racist? He's half black and half white himself. I mean, that uh, it doesn't make no sense unless he, what? you know, has internal hatred for himself like uh, Ken Melman. Oh, you heard about the that? The chairman of uh, the President Bush's campaign, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who was uh, homosexual and was pushing policies that actually punished homosexuals. Kind of weird. Oh, moron. I didn't know you were familiar with the Ken Melman story. Oh, yeah, Jim. Familiar with it? It's uh, actually a sad story. I think. I agree, Moran. I think it. I think it is sad. I think. Uh, yeah, that's what I said. Some people say it took a lot of courage for him to come out now. Well, you know, I, seeing that he's been a Republican, well, and and everything. Uh, see, no, I, I think that it took more courage before. What? Yeah, when uh, when he was the chairman of, of George Bush's campaign to get him reelected, there, the way they did that was they, you know, they appealed to the people who hated the gays, and they put those gay initiatives on the ballot to kind of discriminate against gays, you know. Well, he is a gay, it turns out, so he had to do that, and he knew how horrible it was to do that, to to discriminate and to uh uh. uh 
people like that in such a ugly, bigoted way just so you could gain power. And, uh, you know, he had to do that so he could gain power and get all the money from the bigots. Right, and uh, that takes balls, no? Not, not really. It's kind of the opposite, really. I mean, a few things take more courage than selling out your own people for uh, money and power, right? No, no. I mean, why do you think that that took courage? It took the opposite. Uh, well, he knew that he was going to catch hell for it. That's that's why when people uh, found out about it. I don't know. Isn't that cowardice? Because you're doing it for your own gain. And it's kind of like the courage a black guy would have to show to join the Klan because he owned a white sheet factory. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's not actually cour courageous. That's like you're doing it for... No, Jim, see, because... He would because he knows that he's going to catch hell for it from the other black people when they find out. But he's doing it to make the money, which it, it takes guts to do that, to stand up to those people saying that. Yeah, that still kind of sounds like the opposite of courage. So you say you're on your own and nothing's going right. Fist to fist and heart to heart. Get back up and fight And now You join like a flag On a battleground Stepped on and beaten down But somehow Yes, somehow You still manage Make a menace to survive A menace to survive It's your courage Take them on Take them out Take a stand Take them out It's your Shocking news out of Washington, D.C. yesterday. Ken Millman, former chairman of the Republican National Committee and the man who ran President Bush's successful re-election campaign, has told Atlantic Magazine that he's gay. Oh, my God! Ken Millman is gay! Wait, which one is he again? Is that the... All right, the gay one! That's right. By the way, who comes out to the Atlantic Monthly? What do you think, Utney Reader would be too judgy? <laughs> so former White House political director Ken Melman, the man charged with formulating the GOP's anti-gay rights policy for much of the past decade, likes dudes. Oh, and by the way, fellas, he's hypocritical. Ken Melman was running the Bush campaign when the president was pushing a constitutional amendment against same-sex marriage. I think the president believes it is wrong to redefine marriage through courts. The president strongly believes that uh, marriage in this country ought to be between a man and a woman. Do you believe homosexuality is a choice? Uh, I don't know the answer to that question. But uh, check back in with me in a couple of years after I've done all the damage I can do. You just have to wonder if Melman regrets being part of that campaign in any way. Does he regret being part of that campaign in any way? No, Melman said. What I regret is the fact that I had not come to terms with this part of my life, and therefore I was not able to do what I was able to do in other areas and work for a more inclusive and broader party. Oh, right, right. You can't expect him to fight for the rights of a group he didn't know he was a part of. I'm sure if he ever found out he was black, he'd be 100% against segregation, too. It's like that old poem, first they came for the gays. But I didn't know I was gay, so who gives
Hey, Jay, this is Zach from Ogden, Utah. And uh, let me tell you, being trapped behind the Zion Curtain, your show is a breath of fresh air. I love it. I listen to it as often as possible. I just wanted to call and tell you, um, after Desert Storm, I'd come home for leave, and then I was heading back to Germany to lean back up with my unit. And I was sitting next to a German gentleman, and he said that he thought America was great. It was the greatest country in the world. He says, but the major problem with America is that the vocal minority dictates policy for the silent majority. Now, through podcasts like yours and Young Turks and Citizen Radio, I believe we're getting our voice back. And, you know, it's, it's rekindled some hope into my country. Uh, I love it. I've become seriously cynical and jaded with all the uh, demagoguery going on. But you guys keep up the good work and um, rock on. Hi, this is Paula from Seattle. And I think the Democrats are not going to do so badly this fall because I think the Republicans, by running such far-right candidates and by openly speaking out against unemployed people as if they're choosing to be unemployed or as if they're quote-unquote hobos, have pitted themselves against an awful lot of people. And um, also by so vociferously standing up against health care reform, have pitted themselves against what we all know to be what Americans vote on quite frequently, which is pocketbook issues, or as Clinton says, it's the economy stupid. And I think that I wish the Democrats would actually just get done what they want to get done and quit playing nice, like they always do. I think that the Democrats are going to do quite well because um, the Republicans have just stood up again and again against um, what Americans really need to have happen, which is um, work projects, unemployment extensions, and health care reform that really matters. So, yeah, it's not going to be a slaughter for the Democrats. Hi, Jay. It's Jim from Connecticut calling in response to your uh, request for why the Democrats are going to lose this fall. And I don't think you should ignore the obvious answer, which is the American people don't like the policies that have been implemented. Rather simple. See ya. Hi, Jay. This is John from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um... I really enjoy your program. Um, odds are, well, not odds, yeah, odds are that I probably don't agree with 90% of the uh, statements that I hear. I'm more conservative oriented, but I really love your program. Um, I want to hear the other side, and your uh, your program allows me to kind of hear a good uh, point from a lot of different places all in maybe a half hour, hour's time and not have to look for the uh, for the information. It's all in one place. So uh, I appreciate it. Keep it up. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks, of course, to everyone who called in. If you want to call and leave a message yourself, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. got a couple of things I want to say today. Uh, first of all, house cleaning. I wanted to mention that there is a new podcasting app available for the BlackBerry. And it's not best of left specific. It's, you know, you can podcast any show using it. Um, I heard about it because I got an email saying that my show had been chosen to be included in the directory 
at launch. So for anyone using this application, my show is available to be seen in the directory there, which is great. However, uh, I, I didn't actually have anything to do with that. So there's a problem. Apparently I'm learning, you know, I don't have a BlackBerry, but I'm learning from listeners saying that that podcast is not updating properly. And so they're writing to me saying, what's up with that? Why are you not updating the BlackBerry app? And of course, it has nothing to do with me. And a solution that apparently works is I I suggested that instead of subscribing to the show via the post they have in their uh, directory there, if you go to my website and you get the link to uh, to the MP3 version of the show and you just copy that um you know, you copy that URL and then manually enter it into this new application, that apparently works. So for all of you out there uh, interested in using the BlackBerry app to get podcasts, that's the way to get my show. Secondly, I wanted to mention that uh, just this morning, I, I learned actually from listeners on Facebook writing to me, asking me if I was planning on going to this rally. That was the first I'd ever heard of it, actually, uh, I'm embarrassed to admit, the Rally to Restore Sanity event happening October 30th in Washington, D.C. That is being put on by Jon Stewart of The Daily Show and their entire crew. A simultaneous event will be going on. Of course, uh, Stephen Colbert will be in town to counter-protest the Rally to Restore Sanity with his March to Keep Fear Alive happening on the same day, of course. And so uh, I was asked by listeners if I was planning on showing up to that. I thought, boy, I don't even know what that is. Let me go find out. It just turns out I'm always behind the times. The, you know, the way uh, the way I roll is I end up being two or three days behind the actual news cycle. So, um, so this news just broke yesterday about that event. And so I hadn't heard about it yet. But now it sounds like a great event. I'm happy to promote it. Daily Show, Colbert, what could be better than that? And uh, and I'm happy to say that I have every intention of going unless something giant comes up that can uh, prevent me from being there. I plan on being in Washington, D.C. on October 30th for that event and probably during that weekend. So I'll see what I can do about um, you know making something happen for a listener meetup of some kind. I certainly encourage you guys uh, to, to show up whether or not I have a meetup at all, of course. Um, but if you if you plan on being there, go ahead and let me know. And um, and if you're interested in meeting up, then uh, we'll see what we can do. And now for actually something really substantive on, on today's issue, gay rights, marriage rights for all, that sort of thing. I, you know, I think that the left position on this issue is so incredibly right. I've said recently that this is one of my favorite issues because it's so easy. It's, you know, shooting fish in a barrel. It's There's just really no uh, room for rational debate. It's just we're right and they're wrong. And, uh, you know, it's not economics where things get really confusing and, and you can be unsure of what's the right position. You know, this is just really straightforward, uh, you know, morally right to give everyone the same rights. And so our position on it is so strong that it really bothers me whenever I hear anyone making arguments on in you know in our favor uh, that can be construed as strawman arguments. And today there was uh, at the end of the, the the long marriage debate clip where you know woman in favor of gay marriage versus the guy who's opposed, and she was making the argument about you know, scientifically speaking, and let's look at these statistics and see how in places where gay marriage is allowed, 
the the rates of divorce are exactly the same and you know nothing has changed in those trends therefore we have uh you know numerical proof that the institution of marriage is not being weakened by the ability for uh, gay people to get married basically so i hear this you know this talking point and the study that she was referring to as a response to something that i've heard a lot over the last few years people uh, you know, because it's so absurd to say that gay marriage wink, weakens the institution of, of straight marriage, we jokingly respond, oh yeah, so when gay people get married, all of a sudden, you're going to feel like getting divorced. Or, you know, if you're straight, you're going to realize, you know, like that dude down the street, he's kind of cute. Maybe I should go check that out. So this study she's referencing is is kind of, you know, putting into scientific terms something that's blatantly obvious that you know, the guys down the street getting married is going to have no effect on your actual life. But I, I find that to be a straw man argument because uh, there may be a really, really small number of people who think gay marriage will actually cause the deterioration of morality and, and marriage between some couples will deteriorate. But if anyone thinks that, it's an incredibly small minority. I, I've never heard anyone actually make that argument. And so I think the intellectually uh, honest argument to debate against taking our adversaries at their word is that they're concerned with the institution of marriage on an emotional level. They have an emotional sense of what marriage is, and it's a sense of tradition, and you know, it's it's just marriage is an institution to them the way any institution is to anyone you know the, the way you feel strongly about you know the institution of higher learning and you know the school you went to had grand tra traditions that were passed down year to year and uh you know and so then to you know so whatever it, it's about tradition that's what it is and so this this deeply emotional uh and yet incredibly flawed reasoning they have can't be debated with a study talking about divorce rates. So I was bothered by that and wanted to kind of make clear my opinion on, you know, don't don't debate divorce rates. That's not even what the other side is concerned with. What they are concerned with is generally and I, you know, in my opinion, ridiculous and wrong, but at least if you're going to counterpoint their point, refer to what they're actually talking about. So now, of course, as I always do, I just want to thank a couple of members before I go. David M. signed up for a monthly membership starting back on January 3rd, and Tomaly G. signed up on February 18th and, uh, and went ahead and got a full year of membership in advance. Huge thanks to both uh, David and Tomaly and all the members and individual donors who make the show possible. You guys know I just couldn't possibly do it without you. I certainly hope you have a warm, fuzzy feeling knowing that you're, uh, you're helping to keep the show going. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. To stay connected to the show online and spread the word online, join up with us on Facebook and Twitter. For details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So, coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you ten times a month, thanks entirely to the support of the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living
Take you out.